so lovely on retreat as um, we begin to settle more deeply into silence. You can really feel it in the hall. Um, kind of the restlessness just settles down, and uh, you know how to begin and enter into the sitting. Um, it's very lovely. And we're going home. Um, so I'd like to talk about how practice continues in daily life and, and, uh, and how we can sustain it and how it sustains us. I've been thinking uh, this weekend a lot about how our practice is a gift to the world. So um, we, may, we may feel like we're doing this practice for ourselves. And certainly, when I began my practice, I, I was doing it for myself because I wasn't in a great place. And I was trying to get some stability and, and clarity and peace. And as, I think, practice develops, we begin to realize how much it is a gift to the world, uh, to our families, to our workplace, our community, and by ripple effect, larger and larger circles. Because by maintaining a daily practice or, you know, I'll encourage a daily practice or at least a regular practice and... um, and a connection with the Dharma teachings. Um, We're learning how to be a presence of of peace um, and a presence of kindness and a a presence of non-harming and more simplicity in the the world. These are really important um, qualities. By being aware of ethics, you know, we um, ethics is is a really important part of practice. As as um, Janet mentioned this morning, it was it was always a part of how the Buddha uh, extended practice, and and we are largely hearing about meditation uh, in the West, kind of devoid of the context in which it was taught, you know, ethics, generosity. Um, It was taught as part of a a web of interconnectedness. And um, we are individualistic by culture, by, you know, it's our our history. It's pretty individualistic. And that has its strengths to value the individual. And it also has its um, gaps. <clears throat> and, um, and ethics teaches us how interconnected we are. The, uh, the precepts that we recited at the beginning of the uh, retreat are called the um, peacemaker precepts. And they come out of the Zen peacemaker tradition 
um, from Bernie Glassman and um, uh, Roshi O'Hara um, and, uh, and some other teachers in New York. Um, and, uh, and they all begin with knowing how deeply our lives intertwine. You know, so, um, so if I, if I take something that's not offered, uh, it, it act, it has an impact on, you know, if I take a whole bunch of office supplies from the office and bring them home, you know, oh well, there's so much there, nobody knows. But it impacts us, it impacts our sense of, of ethics, and it impacts, um, it impacts the environment. You know, if, if we are uh, over-consuming and being wasteful in how we live our lives, uh, that has an impact around the world. And it's, um, it's our addiction to cheap, disposable consumer items uh, that has a lot, you know, you know it's, it's, it's part of this whole, what's come to the surface in the U.S. elections is all the, the jobs, you know, moving to places where workers are underpaid and don't have any benefits and, and then, you know, we can get cheap TVs and replace it every couple of years. So, so really thinking deeply about, you know, what are the ethics of how we're living? I think is really important. How we're, how we're using um, the Earth's resources. So it might be something, you know, in in Buddhist countries, the ethical precepts are uh, a very important, very central part of people's practice. Um, so, um, so I'd like to strongly recommend to you that you explore that and what that means to you. And, and one thing about the, the precepts, the teaching on the ethical, the ethical guidelines in Buddhism, is that they're not a rule, uh, a bunch of rules of, you know, do's and don'ts. Um, you know, so, so some people will um, will in understand the fifth, the fifth precept of you know not to use intoxicants which can cause um, confusion or uh, lack of clarity in, in the mind. You know, some people will understand that for them. It's a, a clear uh, kind of guideline to not use, to not drink wine, to not, you know, use any recreational, you know, marijuana, or um, which is going to become mainstream in our society. Um, and uh, and and other people will say. Um, you know, it's about mental clarity. So I can have a glass of wine, or maybe I can, um, you know, smoke some marijuana. Maybe, maybe, um, you know, some people say that it can add to their mental clarity. Used in a, in a little, just a little bit. Other people don't have that kind of reaction. I think it's 
I think it's very personal, and I think I think these guidelines, um, you know, really encourage us to take ownership of our actions, and and not kind of um, be following. You know, that was you know for years I was um, quite involved as you know I didn't grow up in the Catholic Church, but um, and I. Uh, I don't mean to offend anybody um, by saying this. I didn't grow up in the Catholic Church, but I entered into uh, the Catholic faith as a Christian and have really drawn to the mystic tradition of the um, of the you know the Christian tradition, and especially as expressed in in the Catholic um, traditions. And and then I became more aware of uh, of the church as an institution and realized that, you know, th- there's 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 a kind of a built-in implicit intention that you never really grow up and become an adult in your faith, you know, that you're always told what to do, and uh, and that's not the the ethos of um, of Buddhism. <coughs> So, so that so about it's about ethics, and um, and so meditation practice is is so important. You know, the there's in 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 the Buddhist teaching, the foundation teachings uh, include what's called the the eightfold path. Um, and there are three main sections within that path, which are the teachings on ethics, which I just talked about so briefly, and um, and the teachings on meditation and the teachings on wisdom. And they're all interconnected. So meditation is an essential part as well of, of this path, if you are interested in cultivating this path, and of course, many of you are. Many of you are have been cultivating this path for um, many years. So meditation um, really helps us to touch into the the clarity and the um, uh, the presence that we've been cultivating over this retreat. I was looking at the, the wind and the snow, and I was thinking um, that there are so many winds in our lives, you know, winds that you know, kind of blow things around, and, and how you, know, you kind of sweep a path or you shovel a path, and then it gets covered over by the winds, and and the snow, and then, you know, so every day, this, uh, my husband's very proud of the fact that, you know, he keeps our pathway in the winter, you know, right down to the cement. You know, so <laughs> we're the only house on the block that has the cement showing <laughs> all through the winter. And if he doesn't get to it, if it ices over, he, uh, you know, he's, next time it gets a little warmer, he, he, he gets it down to the cement. And it's it's kind of um, you know a daily practice is like that. It's like 
staying in touch with uh, that place, you know. Um, so much of the time um, when we're uh, kind of... The, the Buddha used to, to con- contrast the untutored worldling and the noble disciple, you know. So, so he, he, he would make these comparisons. And of course, you know, it's not, we're, you know, we're, sometimes we're the untutored worldling and sometimes we're the noble disciple, so it's not, you know, um, kind of a stark, uh, you know, difference in that way. So, but it's just for comparison. Sometimes when we're not, when we're not centered, when we're not present in ourselves, you know, and we, and we react, you know, something happens, and we're just we're coming from some place out there, or, or some place where somebody's looking back at our at us and telling us what we could do. We're coming from not a place of being present within ourselves um, and clear within ourselves. So, our meditation practice helps us to find that. Now, first of all, we have to find it. Um, we have the mind. You know, we we begin to recognize that the mind is full of drivenness, and so can we be present in the body? Can we be present in the heart? Can we listen? Cultivate an attitude of listening, listening to the heart, and um, and responding authentically. So that's that can be a journey of discovery in the beginning of practice. You know, to really to be discovering, you know, what is my heart actually saying right now? What do I feel is true? What do I feel is right? And um, and really having the courage to honor that. Sometimes, you know, the Buddha called this, this practice going against the stream. And so having the courage to honor that. Um, in our in our words and in our actions. And it could be as simple as um, recognizing that, you know, in, in, if you have if you have a an, an office workplace, that a lot of what happens in the office is gossip, and that's that's a that's that's a tough one for people. You know, um, one of the the teachings on the path is right speech. And, you know, Buddha said, don't talk harshly about people. And, and and then you know as, as people begin to become more aware, uh, there's a lot a, a lot of a lot of gossip, a lot of uh, just talking about other people in negative ways. I find that at the dog park when I. I used to take my dog to the dog park, <laughs> and the dogs were running around. The people are a little in a little pack, <coughs> and uh, yeah, it's so you know. So maybe maybe it's an opportunity to bring in another perspective or say something that's coming from another place. It's a practice. So a daily sitting. You know, um, it's helpful to have a place where you normally sit. Kind of calls you. 
Um, you know, it's it's helpful to have, I think, a time which generally works for you that you usually sit. Um, you know, for me, it's in the morning. Um, the best the best thing for me is if I get up early enough so that my dog is not, you know, really hungry and kind of looking at me like, you're going to feed me now? Uh, she's content to wait and, and, uh, and I just, yeah, just sit. And, and, if, and if I can't do that, then as soon as I can. Um, and at the same time, you know, like we need to be flexible. So sometimes, sometimes we don't have time, and and maybe it's taking fifteen minutes at your desk, you know, or or maybe it can be doing a walking meditation, you know, like. And and there are many ways to weave this presence into our daily life. So the walk to the bus can be an opportunity to just feel your feet on the ground. You know, you don't have to be walking slowly. You can be walking quickly. You can be just feeling your body moving through space. And um, instead of thinking, 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 like projecting the mind forward into what I'm going to do today, uh, just really stay present in the body. A beautiful practice is, you know, sitting on the bus or the or the metro, or, or even, uh, or even in your car, um, like it's very easy to start feeling aggressive to other drivers, yeah. and uh, to try to um, cultivate this this quality of kindness, you know, and appreciation that that um, everybody is. Everybody has a life. Everybody is dealing with uh, life's challenges. And so everybody has some quality of suffering, qualities of joy and love. And, and uh, people want to experience well-being and happiness. Generosity is a is a very beautiful um, quality of heart to cultivate. Um, you know, it, it it like compassion, like the practice of Tonglen we were doing last night. It uh, it's a counteraction to fear. You know, a, a fear of not enough. You know, so so so. Generosity. It's not just. It's not just about money. It's. Uh, it's a lot about ourselves. Um, so you know, sometimes when I feel generous, in terms of wanting to extend myself in some way, wanting to offer my presence, my, my, uh, my friendship, or my um, assistance, you know, uh, then you know. The mind comes up, and you know this sense of insufficiency, like I'm not enough. I'm not. I'm not skilled enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not 
they wouldn't want what I have to offer. And so, and so the generosity helps us to move through that and just to really offer, you know, I, I mean, we can remember perhaps when people have been generous with us, with their, with their kindness, reaching out, you know, uh, I've, I've heard about people who, you know, when somebody was um, seriously ill, either terminally ill or seriously ill, you know, like people organized themselves and brought food um, so that that person, uh, you know, never needed to worry about that. So there are so many ways to be generous. And, um, and so... Um, that really takes us out of ourselves and, and really is a, a statement of affirmation about how interconnected we are. Another, uh, another way that we can express generosity and compassion is... is um, uh, is service, uh, you know, like just ha- how would we want to be of service? And I, I think that um, I, I gave a, a day long retreat on, on the topic of altruistic service, and uh, some of us were talking about how, when we, when we commit ourselves to service, like you know, I teach meditation in prisons, and. Um, uh, and there's another teacher and some other volunteers who are part of that, and um, and and some of us were talking about you know you know other ki- other people who are doing other kinds of service and and how it's sometimes hard to you know you just don't feel like going like, I'm tired I'd rather stay home um, and then and then we kind of make the effort and go. Because uh, we're committed, and and then always, always come back feeling so much better <laughs> than when we uh, when we set out. And then there was a woman there who um, who works in a maximum security prison, and and she she's a psychologist, and she said. You know, you talk about feeling good about service, and it's true. That can that can happen, but it doesn't always happen. Sometimes it's really hard, you know, because the people she works with don't particularly, they're not, the people that, that I work with in my program, they want to be there. They're, they've decided that they want to turn their lives around. They've decided that meditation can help them. That's people that she's seeing. They don't want to see her. They have to see her. And um, and so and and yet she continues to give, and she gives her best. Um, and sometimes, uh, sometimes she can see a result, and probably sometimes the result she doesn't see, and probably sometimes. You just don't know. You just give. So it's 
it's it's not all about what we get back from it. It's kind of giving without attachment to the outcome. Relationships are a really important part of our um, practice in daily life. Uh, especially, you know, our relationships that are kind of, that we have a, a close connection to, whether they're, you know, our significant others or our, uh, that, you know, we may live with or significant others who are close friends uh, or people who we work closely with and we've formed, you know, very close relationships with, work, which are both work, sometimes they're also friendships. And, um, and, uh, and so, you know, the, the people who are close to us, um, you know, we, we tend to, we, ha- we have our, our baggage, right? So we, um, we're sometimes triggered by certain kinds of behaviors certain kinds of attitudes that we see. And so they're, you know, these are really gifts that, that uh, we can begin to recognize. You know, what is my expectation in this relationship? You know, and what am I imposing? And um, am I giving this, this person space to be who they are? And of course, it's always, you know, there's a negotiation. Like we need to be honest. If if things, if certain kinds of behaviors don't work for us, you know, but we're changing. The other person is changing. You know, this, our our environment is changing, and so it's relationships um, get stuck when we expect people to stay the same and we expect that we're always going to feel the same way about that person. So we really, you know, uh, I've, I've told this story a number of times. Um, one of uh, my teachers, Joanna Macy, who is a, um, uh, she's both a Dharma teacher and an environmental activist. And, um, she told us a story once uh, about when she and her husband were had decided to get married, and uh, and they went to see a friend who was also a minister, and um, and 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 they wanted to ask him to perform the ceremony, and he said, um, and he said, I'm going to give you a blessing for your relationship right now. And he said, I. I, I wish that you may always be strangers to each other. And so so that, and it kind of took her by surprise, like, huh? Uh, and then the next moment she understood, yeah. I mean, of course, we know each other. We know each other's habits and general personalities, but we can't assume that we know that person. That person who is sitting across the table from us you know, uh, is is always changing and emerging and and evolving just as we are. So 
So be curious, you know, who who is this person right now? And 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 not only in a general way are we all evolving, but even moment to moment. You know, we as we see in our meditation practice, you know, we may we may feel something very strongly. We may feel a lot of irritation or judgment or impatience. And then when we maybe just say, okay, come back to the body, come back to the breath, be present with it. And then it moves through and something else is there. So, so when we don't solidify around our moods, our beliefs, we begin to realize that who we are is not a solid thing, is not a solid self. We are a process. We are a, uh, a manifestation of, of life, that life lives through us. So maybe I'll I'll end my talking part with a poem I've I've read many times. Um, and uh, <clears throat> but it it always seems just right at the end of a retreat. And it's um it's a poem by Ro- Roger Keyes. Uh, called Hokusai Says. And um, Hokusai was a, um, a a Japanese watercolorist. I think he was 19th century. And you might be familiar. Some of his paintings are very well known, even in the West, uh, with Tsunami and and the painting of Mount Meru, um, very uh, standard on Japanese watercolor calendars. <laughs> <laughs> Hokusai says look carefully he says pay attention notice he says keep looking stay curious he says there is no end to seeing he says look forward to getting old he says keep changing you just get more who you really are He says, get stuck, accept it. Repeat yourself as long as it's interesting. He says, keep doing what you love. He says, keep praying. He says, every one of us is a child. Every one of us is ancient. Every one of us has a body. He says, Every one of us is frightened. He says, every one of us has to find a way to live with fear. He says, everything is alive. Shells, buildings, people, fish, mountains, trees. Wood is alive. Water is alive. Everything has its own life. Everything lives inside us. 
He says, live with the world inside you. He says, it doesn't matter if you draw or write books. It doesn't matter if you saw wood or catch fish. It doesn't matter if you sit at home and stare at the ants on your veranda or the shadows of the trees and grasses in your garden. It matters that you care. It matters that you feel. It matters that you notice. It matters that life lives through you. Contentment is life living through you. Joy is life living through you. Satisfaction and strength is life living through you. Peace is life living through you. He says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Look, feel, let life take you by the hand. Let life live through you. So I'd like to open the uh, the floor up. Yeah, I was gonna. I was. Gonna, you want to take a break now? I was gonna have questions and then take a break. But if the people would people like to take a break and then come back for discussion? Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> So, um, short break, five minutes. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.